0: And if people didn't smoke, there would be no employment for the youth of today.
1: So, once again, no smoking in this theater. Mm.
2: Okie okay, dokie. I Yablo- will stay muted Yablo- and Yablo- somebody says my name. Cody. What? <laughs> what is that?
1: Yeah. Yabloko Maloko. The, uh... The plants in Metal Gear Solid 3. I was forgetting the name of those. What? What? Trees?
0: I, I was just what, thinking what about I was,
1: that. I was saying... Yeah, maybe it was just synapses firing, but I had to confirm. Uh, Yablokomoloco, it's a plant in Metal Cody, Gear Cody, uh, Metal 3.
0: Gear Solid is a uh, video game. I still don't... That doesn't help understand what Jason is talking about, but it is I don't really know really why it uh,
1: brought it up, but there, there's a plant that you can eat in Metal Gear Solid 3 Snake Eater yeah. called the Yablokomoloco. Mm-hmm.
3: I don't remember that you could eat plants in that game. It's not called Plant Eater. <laughs>
1: jesus christ
3: jason why don't you start to <laughs> time,
0: thank
1: you jason. very much for listening to try love a literal roundtable podcast where we talk about movies they got him Damn. they got him
3: i didn't think that pink floyd would take us down that fast oh do we have to cut <laughs> this out now because we haven't introduced the, the uh movie yet
1: yes yes we do uh what is the bit I don't I, know. What I, I, don't ha, I don't have a bit I don't have a bet I forgot how I introed. The last episode. The I, bit yep.
3: that I was doing was that Jason was taken down by, by Pink Floyd's very litigious legal team. Oh, sure. Um, Why don't yeah. we
0: just start over from I'll, this I got, got it. I got it. I got it. I got it. Thank
1: you. Thank you very much for listening to Try Love, a literal roundtable t- podcast where we talk about movies. You can find us on Twitter at Try Love Podcast. You can find the Trilon Cinema at Trilon Cinema and at Trilon.org. My name is Jason. I am just another brick in the wall. And you can find me on Twitter at NintendoFist. Hey,
2: you out there in the cold getting lonely getting old i'm cody narfison and you can find me on twitter at cody underscore bh
3: mother do you think they'll try to break my balls i'm harry mackin you can find me on twitter at shiitake harry ah and i'm aaron
0: i haven't eaten my eat uh i haven't fuck <laughs> <laughs> take, take, out of the... <clears throat> okay okay do we here. want to start it from try the top, take it, try, no, take, from the top. take it from
1: the top thank you very much for listening i'm not i'm not being serious go ahead wait really
0: I was going to take it from the top. Okay. Okay. Uh, I'll, I'll, I, we
1: can take it from the top of the no, 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 Take it's it from the Thank, Thank you me. very much for listening to TriLove, a literal roundtable podcast where we talk about movies. You can find us on Twitter at TriLove Podcast. You can find the TriLon Cinema at cinema and at TriLon.org. My name is Jason Daphnis. I'm just another brick
2: in the wall, and you can find me on Twitter at Nintendoofus. Hey, you out there in the cold, getting lonely, getting old. I'm Cody Narvison. And you can find me on Twitter at Cody BH.
3: Mother, do you think they'll try to break my balls? I'm Harry Mackin, and you can find me on Twitter at Chitake Harry.
0: And I'm Aaron. I haven't eaten my meat, so I can't have any pudding. And you can find me on Twitter at RB, please.
1: Very important. We are covering movies as part of our non-lon boys pick series that the tri line is not playing or maybe won't play ever because they are currently playing a series of films that we have already recorded on. Uh, This week is Aaron's pick, and I'm going to let him introduce it.
0: Yes, this week we are uh, going to be discussing Pink Floyd's The Wall, 1982 film uh, directed by Alan Parker. It's an adaptation of Pink Floyd's concept album of the same name uh, from 1979. Uh, it is based on a screenplay by Roger Waters, Pink Floyd's bassist and singer. Uh, it is also featuring many animated segments by the one and only uh, Gerald Scarfe, who worked with the band uh, previously on, uh, I think, starting with their music video for Welcome to Machine, off of Wish You Were Here, uh, as well as a lot of work for the kind of live performances of The Wall. Uh, for about 80 or 81 uh, after the album came out. Uh, The film follows a similar story to the one told in the album. It follows a a rock star named Pink, played primarily in this film by uh, Bob Geldof, uh, who has fallen into a deep depression, remembering moments from earlier in his life, particularly the uh, death of his father in World War II, uh, his kind of fraying relationship with his mother in post-war England, and his experiences with an oppressive and abusive school system. As he falls further into sadness, he kind of puts up this metaphorical wall to protect himself uh, from the outside world. Uh, The album, the wall ended up being Pink Floyd's second most successful sales wise behind dark side of the moon. Uh, And although Critical Reception was actually kind of fairly mixed upon release, it has since kind of become generally regarded as one of the kind of best and most important rock albums of the 20th century. Uh, And also, despite kind of an incredibly rough production of the film The Wall, uh, it was uh, pretty critically acclaimed upon release and has since gone on to be considered uh, a cult film. Jason.
1: Thank you very much, Aaron. Uh, Tell me, why this movie for the non-line boys picky?
0: Yeah, I kind of came to this one, uh, I think, for a few reasons. Uh, I think that everybody had done a pretty good job of picking movies that kind of spoke to them specifically that tied into uh, some aspect of, of, you know, a hobby that they had or the kind of films they appreciate and that they could really speak to. Um, I specifically grew up uh, when I was younger listening to a ton uh, of progressive rock, uh, a good amount of like classic rock, but specifically uh, progressive rock in general was my favorite genre when I was kind of in uh, like middle high school. Uh, I was very cool, uh, as you can tell. Um, Pink Floyd was was one of my favorite bands. They weren't my favorite prog rock band, um, but I did like them quite a bit. Uh, I also particularly liked concept albums growing up, um, and even even though now I, I think I mostly prefer uh, non-concept albums from the groups that I grew up listening to. I still have kind of a general affinity for them that I appreciate. So there's this kind of conceptual nature, uh, to this album and the, the movie, uh, that I, I appreciate. I think there's, uh, you know, there's two or three Pink Floyd albums that I'd say that I like more than the wall, but I think that the album's importance is undeniable. I think it stands as a, a pretty cohesive artistic statement. Um, it, it's one that maybe I didn't appreciate as much when I was younger. Um, I generally preferred, uh, big scare quotes, cooler concept albums, which mostly means ones about like swords and guns and shit. Um, I think that, that the wall just due to kind of the uh, kind of more mature, but, but maybe more, you might call it mundane themes. uh, I think I didn't quite have an appreciation for it as a child. My appreciation for uh, this kind of story has only grown uh, as I've grown up. You know, I've stopped listening to as much music about uh, laser swords and wizards. And I listen to more music about, existential anguish and growing up and shit like that um so i I did see uh this film when i was younger i think i saw it once in high school i wouldn't say it was formative per se but i do think there's kind of this interesting cult film angle here i think one thing specifically uh from an episode in the past that we we talked about uh you know when we when we watched and talked about uh, akira for example i think that how that film we kind of talked about at the time was kind of initially regarded as this cult film for a lot of international viewers and in America and England, whatnot, due to the kind of the violent, often sexual, mostly sexually violent uh, scenes in that film kind of gave it this midnight film kind of cult film angle. I think similarly here, the animated sequences, uh, which are trippy, they're psychedelic, they're violent, they're kind of horrific. I think that 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 is kind of the reputation that this film has. And I think that's an interesting thing to talk about. Lastly, uh, I liked the different format of this film um, i don 't think we 've really tackled a film like this one. I think maybe our uh, cabaret episode with with matt yost shout out to matt yost it 's probably the closest thing that 's also kind of this musical about how pop culture enables and kind of turns a blind eye to fascism um, but the, the wall isn 't exactly a standard musical. not that cabaret is, but you know the wall is is it a musical is it not i don 't know is it just a music video there 's kind of different ways to uh, talk about it, but I think that Structurally, it'd be something uh, kind of interesting to talk about as well. So that were that was kind of all my thoughts, and I I hope it was a good selection.
1: I hope that it was too. Uh, I really do appreciate the not that we've had you know very similar films so far. I feel like we've run a really good gambit of. Uh, you know, for whatever our Unchained Id really wants to watch with friends. uh. But this is one I'd like, I I'd consider a market success if I would not have watched it otherwise. And indeed, I don't think I would have watched The Wall otherwise. My general thoughts are that when I think, excuse me, when I thought prior to watching it of Pink Floyd's The Wall, it was not one of my, it was not the Pink Floyd album that i gravitated toward. I had heard it, but I hadn't really listened to it. Uh, you know it, i guess quote quote unquote listened to it to really like pay attention and, and dive into what it was doing um so when i think of pink floyd's the wall as a film i sort of thought of um you know jerk off portrayals of like collectivist society as as something that drains life of uh you know individuality and pride and joy and um specifically scenes of like the kids being molded by soulless uh, by soulless um education, infrastructure, et cetera, you know, just like sort of the reputation that preceded it to me might have been, and this is a realization I'm only making now might have been filtered through my parents and grandparents, generally conservative leanings um, that if I, I guess there's, there's a lot of consternation still among the right about whether or not this is a communist or capitalist film, which is very funny to me to consider, especially learning a bit about what Roger Waters himself is like. But, um, I'm really happy to report. That's not what I saw. I think that, uh, this movie it goes on a very interesting journey from uh, sort of with like opposing theses, you know, uh, to sort of lure in the audience into a frame of mind in the first two acts and then sort of in the final act, turn the mirror back on them. Um, I might be way off base here, but I, I'm confident enough in this to to make it part of my discussion. Um, I think that uh, that the last bit that I'm talking about, like where the movie sort of makes another statement um, and sort of, you know, turns the mirror back on the audience Uh, Gets glossed over when it's um, perpetuated as uh, sort of a piece of, you know, quote unquote, anti-communist, like I was saying, anti-conformity, individualist called arms piece, which is how it was always painted to me. Um, That's broad strokes. uh, Generally what I'd like to talk about. I imagine these are going to overlap with my uh, with my co-hosts. So I'm going to pass to Cody uh, to continue the conversation with his general thoughts.
2: Wow. Thanks, Jason. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm thrilled that Aaron picked this movie because it is so far out of my wheelhouse. And I'm also very intimidated uh, to dig into it because it is so far out of my wheelhouse. Uh, of course, I've heard Pink Floyd songs before just in my life. Watching this movie helped remind me of some of them. And I've re-listened to some of their stuff in the few days since we watched this to help commit some of them to memory a little bit better. But I haven't really internalized their music at any point in my life, which is to say I didn't grow up listening uh, to them or ever really having a like a Pink Floyd phase or anything like that. Uh, I have literally one memory attached to Pink Floyd. And uh, in an instance of me really embracing my role on this podcast, it is indeed a memory that has to do with sports. So you'll if you'll indulge me uh, briefly in um in fifth or, or sixth grade, the City League basketball team I was on had this one play that our coaches called the wall referring to Pink Floyd. Basically, it would be us trying to get one of our shooters the ball by the end of the play. And to do that, the shooter would cut away from the ball and continue their run so that they went in between two teammates who were standing close together on like the other side of that half of the court. Once the, the intended shooter went between those teammates in order to separate him from the other team's defender, who was trailing behind him, the two teammates would situate themselves sh- uh, shoulder to shoulder creating a sort of uh, wall between our shooter and the opposing defender, hence the wall. Uh, and then our guy would get, uh, you know, he'd get the ball in the corner and he'd put up an open shot. I can't remember the play working in a real game, uh, which isn't to say that it, it didn't. Uh, I just more so remember us talking about the play and laughing about the play, or at least, the coach is laughing about it because we were kids and we didn't really know who Pink Floyd was. Uh, but it was a play. We had fun running in practice. And I think of that whenever I see anyone talking about Pink Floyd, um, <laughs> what a which reference. Helped, yeah, it helps paint my context for this a little bit. Um, but getting back to the movie at hand during our watch of it, I felt kind of like I do sometimes when I'm working while also trying to listen to podcasts that I really want to hear every word of, you know, like a certain kind of multitasking. Uh, there were so many incredibly visceral and sensational images in the wall, you know, the movie placed alongside the album version that is similarly sensational uh, and one that I have not listened to before. And trying to get the most from either was uh, very challenging, but in a very good way and in a way that I think will make this very ripe for uh, a rewatch someday, I think, for me, after I've listened to their music even more and established uh, an even better palette for myself. But the things I did find myself latching on and remembering made this feel to me like a very you know successful intertwining of the two. Uh, you know the album and the movie. It is, I think, very effectively angry. There's a pervasive uh, feeling of what I would just categorize as hopelessness, but there's also a push for being willing to understanding or willing to understand ourselves and the world and where our places are in it and sort of building from there. There's also maybe some commentary here on, on humans and the unfortunate necessity of performance kind of thinking back to our discussion of perfect blue, uh, which I can't get out of my head. Uh, but in any case, I hope to learn uh, a lot today. So with that expectation declared, I shall now pass the microphone over to Harry.
3: Damn. Thanks Cody. That was a super fun story about um that play. That's funny. Um I had sort of a similar background with classic rock uh prog rock that Aaron did. Um I was also very cool in high school and very into um classic rock. I ended up going t- trending more heavy metal. Um I I haven't listened to a lot of Pink Floyd because uh a girl I was hanging out with early in high school was very into Pink Floyd, so I got into Pink Floyd and then when we uh stopped hanging out, um I stopped listening to that band because it kind of reminded him, you know. Um, Anyway, so I haven't seen The Wall. I wouldn't have seen The Wall. So I'm super glad that we watched it because I found this um, to be a really excellent movie. Um, It's really ironic and funny to me, Jason, that um, you grew up thinking it was sort of an anti-collectivist, anti-communist movie. Because to me, this was like an extremely clear, even uh, maybe straightforward, polemic, um, sort of characterization of how conservative British ideology and European ideology built the Nazis, like
4: very yep, straight yep. up.
3: Uh, and so it's, it's like really funny that that uh, conservatives that wanted to sort of appropriate Pink Floyd have terrible reading comprehension, but I guess it's not really that surprising. <laughs> um, To that end, I think it's very effective at doing that, in fact, and and I was very impressed with how intersectional it made the um, statement on how fascism is fomented within conservative ideologies and conservative societies. Um, It explores the psychosexual dimensions of that in a really intimate and powerful sense that I think really only music could in a really fascinating way, while still tying that into... Um, history and social political and um as we said educational and even sort of identity performative um measures of um of self-denial and of uh anti-humanist sort of like um self-loathing and um and hatred of the other um the the way that this movie is able to very articulately um demonstrate the way that all of those self-hating and self-denying feelings can intersect to create an ideology that is anti-human and that is fascistic, um, really spoke to me. And I, I think it was really, um, like really well done in a way that, that really justified, um, a lot of what Pink Floyd was doing here. It, it felt very articulate to me. So it's, um, it'll be fun to talk about and I really enjoyed watching it.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think I, I generally agree. I, I, maybe have yeah i guess i guess we'll talk about kind of the backgrounds with pink Floyd specifically maybe in a bit but i you know i think specifically in regard to the film um i think that it is it's like remarkably unsubtle you know like it, yeah, just incredibly yeah. unsubtle in like every single way i think that if somebody was really gonna shit on this film apart from like not liking the violence or not liking the music or whatever i think that's probably how to do it right like, it's very right.
3: banksy at times right like and yes. it, it earns it because it's 1983 and like those those images had not become as cliched as they are today but you're right yeah. like there there are parts of this movie that are straight up just like okay banksy like we we get it like i, <laughs> I see that
0: the thing on letterbox that everybody has said is like it's a very much like a we live in a society film which yes. is like, yeah you know, internet meme kind of thing but like it is it is kind of that right um it, You know, I think that I I kind of like that aspect, though. I think that this film feels like a really large, messy, maybe overlong, even for what it is, even though it's like 90 minutes. It feels like this grand statement about like personal tragedy and post-war England. Um, And even though I think it might at times feel a little bit obvious uh and that's something that as we were watching it uh uh we we kind of kept making jokes as you know fairly obvious symbolism would keep coming up again and again um but i think i appreciate all of that given what the film is trying to do i think that the the bluntness of the imagery in this movie actually kind of helps it succeed in a weird way um
3: you're saying it, it hammers you with imagery over and over again really over the
0: head yes yeah uh David Gilmore, uh, Pink Floyd's guitarist and longtime guitarist, uh, stated that uh, he he thought that the film was the less successful telling of the wall compared to the specifically the album and the concert versions. I think we. Briefly, should also mention the uh, the the stage show concert version of the Wall, which is incredibly uh, popular, high earning. Um, specifically, the one uh, Roger Waters performed it live from 2010 to 2013. At the time, I think it was the highest grossing solo tour uh, of all time. I think it's dropped a few spots, but it's like it's like one of the the highest grossing uh, album tours of all time. Um, so, you know, David Gilmour said that he prefers that version, and then the album to the film. Um, I think that there is a a certain thing that happens when viewing uh, the film kind of in relation to the music, especially for somebody like me who grew up kind of generally with this album, not as much as, say, Dark Side of the Moon, uh, but I did like this album and listen to this album a good amount. Um, I think that the the visuals in this film help solidify what has kind of been lost due to time and the popularity of this album and specifically certain songs on this album. Um, If you listen to classic rock radio, you have heard Another Brick in the Wall Part 2 a million times. It's just one of the most popular rock songs ever made. Uh, Same thing with Comfortably Numb, same thing with Hey You, same thing with Young Lust. Those are all songs that, even if you go on Spotify, have hundreds of millions of streams, right? Um, And I think that they have lost their potency a little bit. I think specifically if you look at a song like young lust, uh, which uh, is in this film is played during the kind of the tour backstage groupie sex scene. um, You know, that is a song that I think is the worst song on the album, uh, but intentionally. So that song is meant to be a pastiche. You could argue it's even meant to be a little satirical of kind of like arena rock, like cock rock. Uh, And it kind of, to me, even growing up as somebody like Pink Floyd always represented like the dumb classic rock uh, that I disliked that even now, like, as I listen to like a lot of that stuff, like really makes me kind of cringe up a little bit. Um, that song, I think in in the album is, is very clear as you're listening to it, that that, that song is about how, kind of these negative energies uh, from a societal standpoint kind of get pushed into uh, this kind of this sexual experimentation, right? How young people due to the aimless nature of society kind of start to experiment in this manner, uh, often in a negative way uh, to kind of act out. Right. I think that that makes sense in place of the album. But if you hear that song a million fucking times on the radio, you don't get that. Right. Even, Even a song like another brick in the wall part two, which is very clearly about like an abusive physically emotionally often sexually abusive uh school uh system in england uh in the 20th century i think that that like all of the power of that song gets lost on the radio and i think that the thing about watching the movie is it helps solidify that you cannot ignore that. none I of escape this is from in isolation <laughs> yeah right so like that's where like the unsubtlety of this film works for me um and like that's something that like. You know, I generally knew what this album's about. I knew the storyline and all that, but like watching the film again, that was the part that stuck out uh, the most to me.
1: Nice. Uh, you mentioned that that specific song, Young Lust, is uh, the phrase you used, I think, was like the aimless nature of society and how it feels like a pastiche, how it like feels like like satire. Um, only in retrospect, do I feel like the first two thirds of this movie are that is is that a reading that anybody else gets on board with again I, kind of, I kind of want to focus on the first parts of this movie before jumping to like the conclusions and sort of the uh where we end up but is that like did, did anybody else get that feeling that pretty much everything up till i guess till the fascist turn is is very much that is very much um you know like a sort of a I don't want to say toothless or fangless. It's it's you know it's saying what it's saying and it's using the tools it has to do that. But just that it does feel a little bit aimless. If a little bit and maybe it's only with retrospect, but a little bit like like you've seen and heard this before. Like this is nothing new to say about education or about elements of society. Is this are these uh, concerns anybody else had or like I mean I think it's used to a particular end, but I want to get to that end next.
3: Well, I I think that this is a very um, interior POV film from Pink, the main character's perspective, right? And so I think that, like... Like I think uh, a good example of that is is in Young Lust, which is like it's a misogynistic song, right? And that's because at that point in the movie, we're exploring how misogyny was built into Pink, right? Like he has this um, groupie in his room, and he loathes her, right? And and he's he's ignoring her while he watches this World War II movie play out. Um, and I think that that song in the context of this movie and a lot of the um the work that the movie had been doing up to this point is demonstrating how pink got to be where he is before the fascist turn right which is like the the aimlessness and the hatred that this movie has for a lot of the society that that they're looking at is pinks right and it's supposed to be um a demonstration of of what he's thinking and feeling both about the society that he was brought up in. And also he's, he's rejecting those thoughts because of the way that they make him feel about himself and his history and his upbringing. Right. We can talk more about the world war two imagery, but, um, for instance, it like this movie starts out with a really powerful assertion that basically his father died for nothing, right? Um, in World War II, that like that he was manipulated into fighting and dying for this cause that wasn't actually what they thought it was, and the rest of the movie is sort of Pink's like he he's uh, as an adult sort of figuring that out initially and figuring out how that that sort of terrible revelation um, like. Reshapes and reframes the the course that his life has taken. Right, like if that's true, if my dad wasn't a war hero, then the way that my mother tra- ta- uh, taught me is different than I thought it was. The way that my school system taught me is different than f- what I thought it was. And so, like to, in my mind, the the reflection of that aimlessness and the the tragedies that he's seeing that's that's Pink reframing his his whole life based on that sort of. Um, terrible, distinct revelation that that mm-hmm. what he thought he was, what he modeled his life after, his war hero father, isn't the man he thought he was. It's that that coming of age moment that that causes him to rethink everything. And um, the reason why it, why it's so nightmarish and so sort of like aimless, like you said, and and so mirrored, is because like that is how it's presenting itself to Pink for the first time as he's thinking about this. Um, okay. And then, uh, to me, like, like there's a, there's a rounded rejection, which is what the wall refers to. Like that's, that's him walling himself off from that truth, but I've talked long enough. Uh, go ahead, Aaron, do you agree with anything I'm saying or am I way off? Uh, yes, I, I think that
0: there,
3: I think that kind of the
0: obvious, well, there's a number of things that you can kind of uh, latch on here. I think the first is the the World War II uh, imagery and the the idea of like growing up in a post-war society without a father and yeah. how that impacts you. I think that there is uh, a, another aspect that maybe is obvious, maybe is not, um, but it may require some kind of historical context with, with Pink Floyd specifically. Um, Pink Floyd at the time when this album came out uh, was, was like one of the biggest bands in the world um i mean this was uh the album specifically uh the wall came out in 79 uh dark side of the moon i believe came out in 73 uh and and before that they were kind of they were making progressive rock when progressive rock was kind of at its height from a popularity standpoint you know bands like yes and whatnot were making big records fucking 9 minute songs were charting like Everything was chaos, right? Shit was really weird. But uh, Dark Side of the Moon was, like, such a hit uh, that they it catapulted Pink Floyd to, like, a, a whole new level of stardom, right? I mean, Dark Side of the Moon, I think right now, is, like, the third highest-selling album of all time. It's, like, forty month, 45 million copies. It's, like, a lot, right? Um, so from Dark Side of the Moon to Wish You Were Here to Animals to The Wall in 79, there was just kind of this giant swell of popularity. And they started uh, playing shows uh, in stadiums, right? And they started playing even bigger shows, even higher earning shows. And I I think that specifically Roger Waters and the other members of the band too, but I think specifically Waters became increasingly uh, kind of uh, disassociated from the music they were performing and the audience that they were performing to. Right. These rooms that they were playing in were getting bigger and bigger and more stadium like, and the people were becoming more disconnected from the music they were playing. Uh, One thing that he had talked a lot about was uh, the fact that people weren't really showing up to listen to the music or to connect with the music or the musicians. They were showing up kind of as like this uh, social activity, right? Something to do. And I think it was a very alienating experience. Um, so at the start of this film, when there's there's all this kind of imagery around uh, large crowds kind of, uh, you know, kind of grouping together and, and acting mindlessly, uh, a lot of the stuff with like the groupies and whatnot. A lot of that is, I think, a fairly scathing uh, like critique of like how commercialized uh, their performances had come and like how like how that alienated them. Uh, from what they really enjoyed doing from a performance standpoint Uh, so i think that that is like as important to me as a lot of like the world war ii stuff and like it's like it's like parallel right like it's not a coincidence that like it's intersecting right yeah that like the it's so obvious right but like the shots at the beginning of like troops running and then it switches to like you know uh, uh people there to see the show and they're all running as well and they're trampling over each other in the same manner i think that like You could argue that's like maybe a little offensive in a weird way, but I think that the movie is personal enough – uh, that it, it kind of earns that in my opinion
3: it's like also maybe a little self-important right like uh the I, but it's it's their show right so it's fine um in a, in a sense but like yes right like like pink is literally a rock star in this movie like he's he's literally basically an author stand-in um the the people that end up taking him uh injecting him with the comfortably numb serum and then like like transforming him into the dictator at the end that's his band that's like literally the his band members and then when he's up on stage in the full fascist regalia giving that speech that's supposed to be a stand-in for the the music that they're playing right like that's supposed to be him in the band and so you're right like there is a whole other part of this which is that like this is uh pink floyd like trying to reconcile with the fact that like their message is getting lost and maybe even perverted into the exact opposite of what they're going for by commercialism and by their popularity, right? That like now they they like they wanted to be these anti-establishment rock stars and now they are the establishment to the point where they feel like they are fascists singing fascist anthems for fascists.
0: Yeah. Uh, another thing was uh, the political climate of the country at the time, uh, specifically. Mar- so Margaret Thatcher uh, came into power as prime minister in 1979. Um, she was getting increasingly popular uh, in the kind of year two uh, up to the election. Um, that was something that was certainly kind of front and center uh, in Waters' mind. Yeah. Um, we we and- made
3: the joke at the time that like you, you said something about like, oh, I'm surprised there hasn't been a Thatcher shot yet. and yeah. And we were sort of like, well, she's kind of in every frame of this yeah well there
0: are shots of reagan right so they kind of like skimp around it, they're like, eh, we got an american flag in, in, in reagan right um but i think that that is is kind of ties in as well I, I think that for the members of pink floyd maybe just waters but i think probably for for all of them there was this kind of uh very uh, disquieting feeling that like they were growing in popularity and this like Artistic statement they were trying to make was being commercialized and monetized uh, at the same time that there was this kind of uh, you know more uh, quote unquote free market conservative uh, like economic and political uh, atmosphere in the co- uh, country as well, and it 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 must have been hard to kind of separate uh, the watering down of your music and you know your performance with this political system uh, as well. Right. Um, And I I think that that is like in the background of this film, even if it's not like necessarily front and center.
1: Yeah. I think, you know, earlier when I was mentioning how the first two bits of this movie are very easy for me to, um, I guess I I don't want to say right off because they do, they're important and they do have like bearing on the plot of the movie. And I think the larger statements it's making, but uh, I, I guess I'm curious I just haven't heard from Cody is, do you find it as easy as I do to like generalize and ball up the first two acts of this movie as sort of plot or was there, were some of these things like sticking with you as you were going?
2: Um, I think ultimately, like, I mean, I, I definitely align with you in that. Like there's, there's, I, I, you know, not chalking it up to or like oversimplifying it of being like the first two acts were this thing, but like the I, I guess I'll just take a step back, like the way that the movie was kind of structured in that way, especially to someone like me, like having no prior context for uh, like this band or just like musically driven. I don't want to say musicals, but just like, you know. 90 minute music videos like this the idea of having these vignettes um and kind of already getting the establishment early on that like these sort of align with memories and we're reflecting but then also having those be like you know every one or two song changes we're going to like pivot to a different memory that all worked pretty well for me um and the the, uh, the i guess the sort of culmination of all that with the like the groupy um you know, the the or I guess groupies, and then the groupie kind of working her way into Pink's apartment. Like having the the painful memories from this character's life, driving, you know, the crux of the first 30, 40 minutes, and then having this other person who I guess maybe a sort of a stand in for not necessarily like the average Pink Floyd fan at the time. Like I clearly can't speak to that, but maybe like what any of us or them would have aspired to be, you know, like having a great time partying with the band and like eventually getting up close and personal with, you know, this person that they idolize and like Pink or, or, you know um, Roger Waters or whomever communicating the impossibility of like you know, submitting forth, this is my, like, this is what I'm all about. This is what I've lived through. And like, I cannot connect with you. And then that sort of simmering and, and, you know, turning into this, this big ball of outrage. uh, Like, I I don't know, like that, that, I don't know that paid dividends for me um, in, in a big way. And I guess like also uh, something you said, Jason, this is only slightly related, but like what you said about like, we've seen this all before it being, toothless or, or fangless or whatever is is an interesting point and i i think that gets back to what um i think it was harry who who commented something to the effect of like these images before they became cliche um like maybe the time we're living in now like seeing uh or, or preaching the the idea of like education reform or something like that and like you know uh, uh urging revolution where revolution is needed is like i don't know maybe i don't want to say more commonplace but like the four of us uh live in that uh in that idea. We we bathe in it daily. And so like I don't know. I, I think it's maybe right to feel that way, just understanding, you know, maybe the the or uh, not maybe, certainly, you know, uh Waters and Co. were were coming from uh, a different place in ways that, you know, all of y'all have detailed up to now. Right yeah i think kind of well two things
0: one first of all i i just i do agree with kind of the general sentiment that i think it is easy like it is funny how this film has been kind of or this work i include the album in here too right in the stage show and whatever but like it is funny how the wall has been kind of dumbed down kind of in the same way that like something like 1984 is just like
3: yeah you,
0: people are just going to interpret it however they want right it's also Over it's formally ironic
3: right because that's what the wall is about is about yes. how these things get co-opted and turned against you. And they, they end mm-hmm. up representing exactly the opposite of what you want them to. That has happened to the work that they were yeah. worried about. So I guess they, they really prove themselves out. Yeah. I, I think
0: that's just, just always going to happen when you make a work like this. Like, you, I think this film is pretty obvious, but uh, you know, uh, who am I, I guess. Um, I mean,
1: yeah, there, there's like, there's a Quora question about whether or not yeah. this film is anti-capitalist or anti-communist. And it's like, It's almost as if like everybody in the world who has a conservative opinion about this movie sort of had the introduction to it that I did prior to actually seeing it, where it was like, your parents are conservatives, you're going to be exposed to the conservatively malleable elements of this movie's plot. You know, seeing kids go through the education system and end up with no faces and have no sense of personality, Uh, see them you know, degraded by the evils and perils of modern society. Um, and it just—I don't know. Like, I think that ultimately, my experience with the first two acts was saved by the third act. I will say that I was—I was at the front of the charge of making fun of it <laughs> uh, up to about like, oh, of course, fifty to sixty percent of the way through. And I, I just want to make sure that I'm not like rag. I want to try and like everybody knows I'm not ragging on it because I think it is, as Harry's saying, very pointed and useful. But just mid watching it, just a very strange experience. Yeah.
0: Well, I, I, I. I mean, to to your credit here, I don't think that you have to be like entirely apologetic. I, th- I think that it's like it's totally reasonable to say that like this, this movie doesn't like maybe work great as a movie, right? Like I don't like, you know, I think it should be kind of judged on its own terms in that way. But like it, this movie is kind of showing and telling constantly, right? Like the the visuals are so obvious. Yeah. The lyrics are like so direct and like very theatrical manner, right? Uh, And from like a narrative standpoint, I think there's things that certainly kind of don't work in that way, Uh, especially as you get to like the middle of the film. They start really repeating a lot of uh, shots from earlier, uh, like over and over again to kind of press these these themes home. And it's like I think it works from like a, a you know, this kind of accompaniment standpoint. But like as a film, I think there's there's maybe some issues to have with that. So I, I think that that's totally fair.
3: That's an interesting point. I was going to say, um, I think that there's something really interesting about the way that this movie has been repackaged and repurposed and, and reappropriated as something semi-conservative because I think that's that's essentially what um – ends up happening to Pink in this movie, right? Yeah, is that yeah. he, he sort of has two paths laid out before him where he comes of age in the beginning of this movie and he sees that, that the narrative that, that he was given about grand old England and about, um, and about the, the valor of World War II is not what he thought it was. That means that his father isn't who he thought he was, his mother isn't who she thought he was, um, his country isn't who he thought it was. And he can either accept that and the implications of what that means and about what, what it's done to him, or he can reject it. And in doing so put up this wall around Mm -hmm. himself and around his psyche to protect himself from the horrors of that realization and preserve the original narrative that he had, which is a much cleaner, simpler one about the, the victory of the virtues of grand old England, right? He, in my mind, clearly chooses to do that, And accepts all of the ramifications of that, including the sexual repression, including the fundamental conservative and hatred of the other, because all others come to represent in his mind threats to the wall that he's constructed around himself, where he will have to accept... That he has those feelings inside of himself of disillusionment, of alienation, of yearning for connection with other people and for yearning for um, what he what he himself considers dirty sexuality because of what his mother taught him um, of self-expression that might be effeminate or might be um, rubbish like his teacher taught him the The fascism at the heart of this movie it represents a reaction or a reaction against himself right that 's what 's so sort of humanist about this movie in my mind is that the first two acts of this movie represent um pink walling himself off from who he really is because he can't accept that accepting who he really is will mean accepting the ways in which he was manipulated and abused by the system that he thought was had his best interests at heart okay, which is okay. which is represented by world war ii and represented by his mother and represented by um his country in general um and so to, to me um that that works, right? Because like, and especially the sexuality of it works because like, you can really see the clear line between like his mother becomes super protective of him and super conservative because she's afraid of losing him the way that she lost her father. He, he, internalizes what his mother taught him and starts to hate what he sees as people who threaten him uh, sexually or violently, which comes to represent all counterculture, which is why he becomes the fascist that he is, right? Because everything becomes this sort of threat to the narrative. It all intersects in that way. And so in denying himself, he has to become this Nazi, basically.
1: Is he having that same realization about himself? I'm thinking like, the scenes where he tries to save the rat and he's unable to, he, like they're juxtaposed with him passing out of a drug overdose in his apartment.
3: Exactly, right. Well, and, and he's an artist, right? He was a poet and he is a rock star and he's always wanted that. He's wanted expression. He's wanted to relate to his wife. He's wanted to be a, a person, right? But he's had that stripped from him. He has to realize either that that is what happened to him or he has to continue to put up the wall that that was designed for him. Right. And I think that, that the fascist dream that he has is the dream of what happens when you don't confront those things.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I I think specifically in regard to maybe some of the, uh, the gender politics in this movie, I think that the film, uh, kind of does flirt a little bit with being maybe a little misogynistic, it, yep. uh, at, at times, uh, I, I, know, in a it, Freudian
3: sense, I think, especially yeah,
0: if- very much. Uh, I think it kind of redeems itself because I think that specifically the, the trial segment, which is kind of the big animated segment at the end, that's also a song on the album. Um, I think that there are lyrics in that. I think that the kind of the message we are supposed to take is that he, he was very, he was unfairly kind of, uh, uh, not treating, but thinking about his own relations with uh, his mother and his wife, uh, who I believe and we're supposed to believe like is cheating on him right, but he 's very clearly like a, a very depressed, like not very uh, connected, probably was not treating her very well. I think that it is by the end of this film, he does become kind of self critical in his brain as this kind of final sequence is happening, so it, I think it kind of works I think there's some. Interesting stuff, maybe with like the school teacher uh, and his wife manipulating him uh, at home, that is kind of interesting. I think that, again, there's like aspects of that that I think you can view as misogynistic. I think you'd probably be correct. I think there is also something to be said about uh, uh, British society and kind of this front that it puts up and how people who don't feel that they have any control uh, personally kind of take that out on people who they have power over. And I think that that is... again that ties in with like the the elements of fascism in this film uh and so it like kind of works so like i guess i'll take it is what i'm saying like there's some a little few things that i'm like eh, this isn't great but like i think it does kind of speak to something greater that that works for me i don't
3: know i mean i i think that maybe the the most um the the sticking misogynistic argument you could make is one that you can make about a lot of male-centric um sort of myths which is just that like women are symbolic in this movie like straight up there's not a there's not a female character in this movie there's not there's not a female human being there are just females that are that are meant to reflect elements of Pink's story which is not great right but that's also something that you could level against a lot of different um male-centric fantasies
0: specifically Um, things that are about someone who is isolated and and
3: right yeah exactly yeah yes You're, you're talking about 2019's the joker at this point I
0: believe uh, yes. I I wasn't specifically going to talk. <laughs> do you want Do you want to talk about? I the think jokes? it's just Joker, yeah, by is, the way.
3: This is this is a Joker movie. It is, just, uh, is what this I'm is, saying.
0: This is totally a Joker. Very movie. much a Joker
3: yes. movie. Um. I was going to say uh, about the, the school teacher, that's an interesting point because I think that that the school teacher's wife's treatment of him is um, a foil of the way that Pink's mother treats him. And in both senses, it's about the ways that and, – and maybe this is redeeming and maybe it's not. I'm not the person to speak to this, but like I think the thing about that is that both the school teacher's hus- our wife and the mother are trying to shape – the the men in their lives into the symbol of uh, traditional British masculinity as thought of and depicted by the heroes of World War II, which have, of course, never been, that's never been true. Men have always been humans, right? Um, and so the fact that Pink can't live up to his mother's expectations of him and the fact that the schoolteacher's wife uh, cannot help but see her uh, husband as this um pathetic loser rather than the sort of ubermensch that um that she wants him to be is why that that sort of cascading abuse of authority happens right like like the um the school teacher takes out his his feelings of inferiority and inadequ- inadequacy on his, uh his subjects, his students, his students take it out on women basically, or uh, uh, eventually on, on one another and on themselves in pink's case, because this is a movie about his self-loathing internalized, but all of that comes back. It like, it drills up to society itself, right. In British society itself. um, I think that like, maybe it's, and, and to speak to your point about the trial, like, I think that the trial is trying to say that like, Pink's misogyny was a category mistake, right? Because yes, like, like women bear some of the responsibility in perpetuating the evils of society, just like everyone does, but they are not the instigators. They are themselves victims that are playing a role that is meant to subjugate them to the, to the same extent that they then leverage their own authority on the subjugation of men. So like, like pink was being abused by his mom and, and eventually in his mind by women. But the reason the women were abusing him that way is because they themselves were put upon to do that in order to fulfill their role within this structure that, that they're all a part of.
0: Yeah. I I think that kind of similarly there is, you know, this film is like conflating, uh, you know, these issues with kind of pink's early life, uh, with, with how he views women. I think there's also, uh, you know i think there's like again like i i totally would would find it like totally valid if somebody viewed uh uh specifically you know some of the imagery around i I mean there's there's straight up like holocaust imagery in this film right like there's the 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 train sequence like is it is absolutely about kind of the horrors of world war ii and it's like comparing that to uh it is comparing that to like British like the British school, school right? system, yeah. And, like, if somebody found that like offensive, I wouldn't blame them. I, I don't personally. Uh, but like, you know, I think like, one, there is like, I think people like have kind of forgotten like how terrible like British school was at that time. Like, it, it was very, very bad. Uh, on the other hand, like, I could see somebody maybe not, uh, you know, taking for sure offense with that in the same manner. Uh, but like this film was like all about those comparisons or like, like violence and kind of national violence and how that, uh, uh, kind of impacts, uh, a single person, right. Uh, it's doing the right. same things with like sexuality and like g- gender relations in that manner. So, um,
3: yeah. And I mean like, like symbolic, like I, this is maybe an even worse argument than you just made because like, of course, finding that offensive is, is completely valid, but like the, the, the symbolism behind that is essentially that like the call was coming from inside the house that like the, the tenants of Nazism and national socialism and fascism were like, they were built out of the building blocks that made european and british society they they didn't come from somewhere else and so like that that makes this this sort of conflation of classic british um like coming of age uh rite of passages with fascism like deeply valid in the nightmarish way that they're going for because they're trying to say that like one one of these things is the other or built the other right and so like that is not an offensive idea because that is the core of what they're saying is that these things are bad, but you're right that like it plays very fast and loose with some very loaded imagery that it maybe should have more respect for.
1: Uh, We have now crested what I had hoped would be, you know, the final act of our conversation because the final act of the movie and I think where the, where it really starts to come together. Um, Does anybody else have any final thoughts about the first two acts, roughly the, you know, the bulk of the material.
0: Oh, I, uh, hmm. I was going to shout, we haven't talked about the animation. Maybe that's better to do when talking about the end of this film. But I think like we kind of need to talk about the animated sequences, uh, at some point because I think they're, they're really good. I don't know. We could do, we can they're do great. that now. Yeah. They're, they're, uh, I, I guess I don't know how I would dislike they're, they're psychedelic. They're trippy. They're like very violent. They're, they're like the rest of the film. Very, I think, obvious and unsubtle uh but in, in a very cool way um i think it's, it's generally animated very well i think the imagery is so striking um you know it is a little kind of framey and whatnot uh you know i don't know i, I really I, dug I, those sequences. I, I, said, I, I
1: said it while watching but it's still better than cool world like less is going on but there are weirder <laughs> things and it still yep. looks better than cool world
0: it it uh It's like the the animated, I I kind of wonder how much total time of this film is like animated sequences. It kind of feels like this film is like very much defined by a lot of the animation. But I think it's probably only like 15 minutes of this film, maybe, right? Like, am I wrong about that? You mean pretty brief?
1: Yeah, like solo animation, not combo, not Roger Rabbit. Yeah, but
0: I think it's just telling how much of an impression the small animation that is in this film yeah, makes yeah. it's like it feels like it's kind of 50 50 with live action stuff to me i don't
3: know and it's it's the memorable like some of the most memorable images in this movie are definitely the animated ones
1: well yeah the i mean the first thing that comes up when you search giphy is going to be the 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 hammers right from the, right from the animated sequence near the end um cody any final thoughts about the first two acts of this movie before we start to head into the denouement here
2: Uh, I, nope, none others. I feel bad. You had to take a timestamp for that, but I'm good.
3: Um, I just wanted to (laughs) say one, so one last thing about how one thing that I really specifically appreciate is that like, I feel that this movie earns the intersection between, um, sexual repression in the Freudian sense and like, um, political fascism uh, that like a bunch of sixties and seventies, particularly animated movies have like tried to draw um, and like have maybe failed at. Um, i f- I found that the, the expression of, of like post-war uh, need for sanitation and need for um, protectionism represented by Pink's mom and conservative society in general. And then like conflating that with, or associating that with in general, sexual repression and then sexual oppression, like it, one is like historically accurate. Like th- that is the thing. And that is where it came from. Right. Like the reason why um, conservatives in particular hated queer sexuality and hated the sexual revolution so much is because it, it represented a quote unquote loosening of, of morals, but it also represented sort of like a, um, like a, a schism from what was traditionally thought of as the, the right sort of morals, um, Right. In both senses, the words, I think that this movie actually like captures that really, really poignantly. Um, And in doing so, it justifies a ton of the sexual imagery that in my mind, a lot of 1960s and 70s stuff doesn't. Um, I'm thinking about stuff like uh, like, you know, no offense, but Forbidden Planet that like is also very sexual, um, but like does not actually earn some of that sexual imagery. You know what I mean? Whereas this, like, it it really does it in my opinion. It gets there.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think that the it's also and this kind of ties into what we were talking about about the the film being kind of read conservatively. I don't think this film is like saying that sex is bad or like rock and roll is no. bad. Or I don't think it's a conservative film. I think this this film is like it's it's Waters seems upset by the kind of the dulling of these elements of our society due to commercialization, uh, due to kind of them becoming even more popular, right? Um, So I I, I kind of agree as well. We're like, again, it is like messy, but like, I kind of like the mess, I guess, like, I, I kind of dig it in a way. And like, again, I don't have any problem if somebody objects to some of those elements. And like, yeah, it's way too obvious. But like, I don't know. I I kind of like just like a big messy thing, which is kind of what the album is is as well. So
1: I think we're getting into it like a really good talking point for, for the final act, um, which is like who takes blame for the effects of these societal pressures is sort of, I don't know, It is a little bit muddy in the first two acts, to me. Um, you know, you see it coming down from the top, and then you start to see like the pressure cooker that is pink. Uh, you know, just before, if I remember correctly, he's injected with comfortably numb in his apartment or wherever, and then he, uh, and then that's, and then we get into the final act. What I would roughly call the final act, starting with the fascist rally where he is the dictator. Um, and he's. I guess this is where like the bulk of my thoughts start to congeal is around this point in the movie, because it's like to that, to me, that, that moment is like the rest of the movie. God, my thoughts are so scattered, so scattered right now. Um, The rest of the movie is a lot of look at how the world does wrong, does us wrong and, and how we're, uh, you know, forced to put up with it and how society puts these pressures on every one of us every day. Um, You know, somebody should rise up. Somebody should make a difference. Somebody should 1984 this. Somebody should Apple computers commercial this and break through and, you know, be the individualist. And I think this moment in the movie is where it's like, listen, the preceding, you know, what, 80, 75 minutes of this movie that you've seen, they were, um, you know, putting you into a certain frame of mind. They were putting you in a certain place to, to have that feeling like that tension of when is pink going to break free? When is he going to smash through the wall? And then by making him then, uh, you know, both a textual and uh, um, symbolic dictator, like a fascist, it is saying the character has bought into like a pernicious myth of individualism of what it means to, I guess, effectively and meaningfully resist these things or or you know or what like why why what we saw before was bad question you know quotation marks why like the way that that society works uh, like the evils that society works upon people's individual rights and freedoms is in essence a bad thing but it's it's taking that and instead saying uh there's there are fascist implications i guess to like to the like i said the pressure cooker that is this character that uh you know is is just our case study of of what's happening in in western society uh and the response to it is break out be free be an individualist And that's fascism. I think that's what Harry was maybe touching on earlier, with um with mention of how like the call is coming from inside the house. Like these things are baked into what happened to Pink when and like the the life that he wanted, the person he thought he was, and the more and more and more and more he was pressured, the more and more that it was created, or these situations were created around him, and the more and more that his life sinks into what he considers a dissatisfied and you know uh, uh oppressed state the more the closer and closer he becomes to or excuse me that he comes to that that myth of of individu- of individualism that like um i, I guess what i'm going to get into next is very particular to that scene but i've got a couple of hands up so i will toss it to i think i saw harry's first
3: sure uh, i'll try to be brief i just i think i'm i kind of agree with what you're saying i just think that like it's important to note that like i think that that What the the fascist dream that Pink has, and I believe it is all a fantasy in his head, um, I think it represents him making the wrong choice at that crossroads. Um, I think that the, the movie was attempting in the first two acts to show us this thing that Pink knows actually is what happened to him and the fascist element of pink is his rejection of that he gets all of it wrong right like he chooses the wrong thing to level his anger against because he thinks that the reason why he hates himself is because of these outside forces exactly. when really it's it's the forces that are inside him that taught him to hate those things that that are making him feel that way and so like the fascism represents the wall it represents like the, the the ways that he's walled off his true feelings and his true self because he was taught to reject those things by society right he was taught not to express himself not to express his sexuality not to love basically um not to be vulnerable um, and then he becomes so hateful of of what he sees as people who are doing that because they represent um not only an alternative but but they represent a threat to him and so that's what he by by choosing to be uh, an individualist like in that way he is actually ironically um espousing the exact same problem right like he becomes the builder of the wall which is which is interesting because that was the irony that that maybe escaped me before that that you articulated really well that like it's it is important and pointed that he is still the figurehead right it's exactly. just that that his figurehead has been reversed because it's it's like it's like there's there's a really a line in the sand or that's being drawn here where it's like once you see the wall, once you see what what society is doing to you, I know we're saying society a lot, but like once once Pink sees what what the world did to him, he has to choose one or the other. He thinks of it as breaking through the wall either way, right? But in fact, Mm -hmm. he he ends up being the person who builds the wall because that's what you have to choose. You have to either say "This, this narrative is wrong and I was manipulated into believing it and I am not the person they want me to be. Or you can think the way conservatives think, right, that the narrative is right that the people who uh, manipulated me did have my best interest at heart and that I am the person that they think I am. Yeah. I think, I think this movie is saying, if you choose that ladder, you are the fascist and you become a perpetuator of that system.
2: Yeah, that's, that's pretty well put. And a lot of this, I think ultimately will, will echo what, what Harry just communicated, but just like reframing it for my own purposes. And I, I am sort of landing upon my own thesis for this as I, I hear us all talk about it, but you know, we've talked about how pointed and on the nose, this movie is, it is very pointed that we see all the threads and images in the first, you know, half to two thirds of the movie about, you know, these are, these are the things, these are the things in society or just like the people in it that made up this child. Um, and like, these are the things that made up those things. These are like the, the awful shitty, uh, things that like make up our world and like they are evergreen they are uh you know it, hard to change by oneself and like y- we we progress more and more towards looking at pink individually and like the <laughs> i i guess you know the last third of the movie as i'm deciding to to say it is galadriel telling frodo to look into the pool and saying like this is the future that you could have if you do not um <laughs> Like, you know, I think in Lord of the Rings, it's like succeed. But like, in this case, it is, um, like Harry said, that sort of rejection of that narrative, um, maybe with a splash of finding some sort of inner peace in the fact that like, one person, like, it, it is not up to Pink to save the world, but it is up to him to like, save himself. And maybe from there, you know, after the whoops, I just knocked my microphone, uh, cause I was getting so into it, you know? Um, but like, maybe if, maybe if he can save himself and we can save ourselves, uh, you know, as, you know, as individuals and again, a capital S society, then maybe we, we build on that from there. It's, you know, like cautiously, uh, optimistic and yeah, like the, the extreme, imagery uh as i you know it it sort of congealed i think as jason said for me too but like with a purpose it's like it's a lot of stimulation meant to like you know stir you up to stir pink up and to think no that's like you know that's not me that's not what i want to do with my life exactly and he's given like like,
1: like the story, what you're seeing on screen in that whole animated sequence Aaron was mentioning earlier is a, tr- literally a self trial. He puts, he puts himself on trial yep. in his fantasy. Exactly. To, to like question whether he's, whether or not he's made the right decision. There's lyrics in the song about like, uh, he, you know, came dangerously close to having human feelings or whatever. Right. And it, it feels like a very, you know, internal monologue moment of have I responded to the pressures of society and you do not know how often i wanted to as a writer i wanted to avoid using the word society in all of my notes but i just can't it's i know dude for this movie. we, we should be least.
3: specific that like we are referring to a very particular sort of like creeping conservative mm-hmm. of post-world war ii great britain <laughs>
1: Yeah, so uh, it's like
3: a it's like a real it's like a historical society. It's like we're we're talking about a real place and, and real era.
1: Exactly, I'm I'm not evoking uh, Joker society when I when I bring this up, but maybe coincidentally I am. Um, but it is that like moment of is he responding to these things in a way that is rational and measured, or is it the way that the system like the system cr- is created by and perpetuated by fascist ideals, right? And is he responding in a way that is going to like break that cycle to, um, or, or, or to, or to perpetuate it or, you know, again, exactly the, the, the myth of individuality, that pernicious self-aggrandizement, um, you know, positioning himself as the figurehead. Uh, and I, I guess that's just color commentary to what Cody was saying. Um, but I, I really wanted to like drive that home of that is a really important, like the last 20 minutes of this movie are maybe the most important for me for understanding it and is the like 20 minutes that I never saw any of or was exposed to any of prior to watching it. So like watching it is the only way that I was ever going to get any of this.
3: And that that gets to a point that Aaron made early on that I think is, is maybe my favorite part of the entire movie, which is the ways that this is a, a meta commentary on the nature of rock and roll music and commercialization and masculinity. There's like a really brilliant masculine metaphor at the heart of this thing, which is that essentially in my mind, the reason why pink rejects breaking out of the wall is because he's afraid of his own vulnerability, right? Like I I think that there's this sense in which accepting this narrative that you have been manipulated by your mother, by society, by the educational system. it, It is to say that you are a victim, right? That, that fundamentally your life has been one that has been dictated for you and that that you have not had power over which is of course the truth for almost all of us, but when you are a masculine man, when you're a person who wants to feel powerful and feel in control, you have a vested interest in rejecting that message because it means that you're not a sissy, right? That you're not somebody who's manipulated. You are the manipulator. You are the master of your own destiny. And I think that a big part of what's happening here in the dream is is Pink deciding that he does not want to see himself that way, and so he has to become a dictator instead and that is a very very poignant characterization of what conservatism is and like not just then but now as well right i mean you look at fucking trumpers and like so much of the trump phenomenon was people who were happy to be manipulated because it made them feel like they were in charge like they were manipulating right like like the these working class white people who have been hurt by conservatism as much as anybody else almost but they get to feel like they were the masters of their destiny that had this stolen from them unfairly and that in a fair system they would be ahead, right? And that was a more appealing narrative to them than accepting that they'd been victimized, just like it was more appealing for Pink to to think that he is actually still in charge of his life and the dictator than it was for him to tear down the wall and say, I am a vulnerable human being who has been manipulated by evils and that I have to address these things. Right. And so like, I think that this is a movie that is very sympathetic to the idea that confronting history and confronting the ways in which you've been manipulated is hard and scary, right? And I, I think that's what the trial is all about. And I think it's a really, really powerful commentary, right? Especially for something like rock and roll to be making, because rock and roll is so often been reappropriated into a masculine context, right? I mean, when you think about classic rock, you think about conservative bikers so often, right? Which is wildly ironic, right? Like my dad, for instance, works in a machine shop And a lot of the coworkers he works with are deeply conservative and a lot of them love Bruce Springsteen. And it's like, how, (laughs) like, how do you, how do you do that? Right? Like, how do you, how do you square that circle? And I think that this movie is like a pretty decent articulation of how that happens, which is just that like, you create an alternative narrative whereby you can maintain power and your own sort of agency at the expense of everybody else.
1: Uh yeah, I it it, it it excuse me in that last in the beginning part of that last act it, it evokes a lot and I wanted to talk about what I maybe I'm reading it wrong as a cliffhanger ending but I saw a couple of microphones come on are we are we uh reaching a I point there I just
0: wanted to know if those co-workers have listened to the new Obama Springsteen <laughs> renegades I don't know If they have any strong opinions on on uh, uh Bruce and Barack's opinions on fatherhood and. The political climate, you know?
3: I will have to get back to you. Get, yeah, now.
0: get him on the pod. No, Jason. Have me. you ever?
1: It, it's reminding me of, of those memes, the like really strong dog versus the really weak dog memes. And it's like on the left is country artists before 1950. And it's like my boss said I was going to work another six hours uh, a week. So, so, I I burned, <laughs> so I burned down his office. And on the right side, it's like liberals and the media.
3: <laughs> That's exactly right, Jason.
1: I love that shit. Um, okay so right after the trial uh of course the the wall uh is is destroyed you said something really interesting Harry, which is like either way the wall is destroyed it's just like which path he's chosen with which, which like uh I guess philosophy he aligns with after you know after the the woes of the world and the pressures of society have crushed down on him for so long is it clear which side he has? Like he had conflict clearly. So there, so it's, it's maybe not 50, 50, but is it clear what he has chosen by the end? Because right after the end, literally like we're back in, um, you know, real world filming with humans and a wall that's been destroyed and children are picking it up. Does that signal then that he has like embraced that more collectivist, what we know to be a, a truer, more like morally aligned view of the universe?
0: Uh, that, that's how I read it. Uh, I, I think that's how it's intended. At least the, you know, there's differences between the album and the film, but the, the, the album I think is pretty unambiguous that that's what happens at the end, right? Like the, the wall was broken down. He is, uh, kind of, you know, reintegrated back into society. Uh, and he kind of, uh, is able to put uh, a lot of the, the issues at least behind him a little bit or at least bear himself to the world a little more. Uh, there is a kind of a weird thing that the album does where it's it's like there's a line at the very beginning of the album that is like spoken halfway through and at the very end you hear the first half so it is kind of, no! Meant Uh-oh. to be you know, like this this cycle you know, like it's this sick, uh, cyclical thing that happens uh, this kind of process of, of opening yourself up and then shutting in and it's maybe it's hmm. it kind of comes and goes. I don't
3: uh, That's very tarot card yeah, yeah, I, I yeah. don't
0: think it's, like, that important, but, like, I, I think, like, in general, like, yes, I think at the end of this film, uh, I think it is kind of representative of, like, a an internal change that he decides to make, uh, uh you know, in order to kind of improve himself and to open okay. himself up to the, world. I, that's how I read it.
3: Yeah. I sort of read it as a new beginning and like maybe a, a tentative one, right? Like the, I think the children imagery is like, it's a, it's mm. like a rebirth. Like the, the wall has come down, but then the the movie sort of, as you said, it, it sort of turns the camera towards you and it's like, okay, like we have reframed history. We have reframed your coming of age uh, into this thing where there was this dialectic between fascism and between uh self-knowledge and self-acceptance we have made the case for self-acceptance now that you accept yourself what are you going to do like what's what's next right yeah, yeah. i think that's kind of what what the what the film or what the album is posing to you is that like we have done this for you uh now it's up to you to to move forward into this sort of brave new world not to get too on the nose
0: yeah i, I think that it's it's you know this this film is about how children uh, kind of take up uh uh kind of the elements of the past uh and kind of internalize it right. uh, in certain ways i think it makes sense i mean it's again it's like so on the nose right but like the image of the kid picking up the mother tough cocktail and like not knowing what it is and pouring it out and like the children like cleaning up the streets after this you know, riot or protest or, or whatever, uh, you know, whether it's a fascist demonstration or actually or not. Right. Like, I think the image of a, a child picking up after that's pretty on the nose. But like, yeah, I, I get it.
1: Yeah. You know what it reminds me of? The ending? Well, I guess the climax of uh, of Stray Dog. Akira Kurosawa's 1949 film Stray Dog. Uh, which I have to go back. That was episode 12, guys. Released. Wow. That's almost, fucking wild, almost, dude. Almost two Christ. years ago to the day, April 16th, 2019.
3: Why does it it feels like we've been making this podcast for 20 years.
1: It does. I have that effect on uh, men my age.
3: No, in a, in a good, fun way.
1: <laughs> I'm uh, I'm all out of thoughts, guys. That's literally all my notes. Uh, is there anything else we missed?
0: Uh, good movie. Good pick, yeah, Aaron. Thank you. Yeah. Yes. I tried to I was... throw a curveball. I think I did.
1: I think you did. Um, oh, God. Is that a Moneyball joke? No. Yeah, you, you're an episode late on that. Oh, there, no, we're talking uh, about sports now. Hello. Oh, no. I, I will
3: say uh, my last note. Um, the poem that the schoolmaster makes fun of Young Pink for reading is lyrics to Pink Floyd's song Money. Um, that was just kind of a funny is, little is self-deprecating funny. joke. Yeah, good, good job. Good on you, Pink Floyd. You can make fun of yourselves a little.
1: Uh, good on you, Roger. Also, Roger Waters, uh, an avowed socialist. I guess that means different you love things to hear it. You you do love to hear it. Um that's just for you I'd mention on my way out. I, I don't know much about the guy, but I i want to learn more. Uh, yeah, so
0: as far as like multimillion uh dollar uh, net worth musicians are concerned, he's probably one of the better ones at like generally being right about political issues, you know. Uh,
1: at least he's loud about it, you know. That's what he, I appreciate.
0: Yeah, he's he's a uh, he's like a big advocate for like Palestinian rights. Uh, he Let's has, go. Talks a lot about like immigration it, stuff. I,
1: I was reading something. What uh, he did get on like? Uh, is it uh, Howard Stern's like bad side by because Howard Stern called him an anti-Semite for arguing against. Uh, yeah, for for like siding with Palestinians in the Israeli Palestinian conflict, essentially. Yeah, he's he's gotten a lot of that uh to, about
0: not just that, but a bunch of various issues. I mean, yeah. he's you know, I, he's
3: like, along with like Bonham. everyone who says everything about the yes. the Palestinian Israeli conflict, yeah, because yes. that's the talking point that conservatives use to cover up their own pernicious agenda.
1: Whoa, pernicious! That's like the fourth time this those words come up. Um. Okay. I love well, that word. I don't know.
3: By the uh, way, uh speaking of rock stars who are maybe not as great, have you guys read about Bob Geldof? Because I didn't know anything about that dude. No, um, is he a shitter? He he's had a wild life.
1: Yeah. Okay.
0: Uh, a lot of like humanitarian aid stuff, but a lot of just like Weird, just, yeah, a fun Wikipedia page to read. A
3: fun Wikipedia page to read for sure.
2: <laughs> just to confirm, just to confirm, you're referring to the person who during our watch we said looked like Tom Hanks, Joan Grufford, Tim Roth, Tim Curry, uh, and I believe Jared Leto at various points. But now yes. I look at his letterbox picture and see quite clearly looks like John Travolta. I think that's probably the obvious <laughs> answer. <laughs> just to make sure we're talking about the same person.
3: That's right, Cody. we are. Bob Geldof, was- the sort of uh, amalgamation of uh, contemporary masculinity he as
1: of legion. 1982. Wow. Okay. Uh, that's final thoughts, and I think we've got a little bit of time left for a final segment of our show that uh, Harry usually lets. Excuse me, helps me ring in. You wanna? You wanna break it out, Harry?
3: Nothing would please me more, Jason. It is time for <gasps> Cody's
2: Snowdies. Wow. Well, thank you, as always, gentlemen, for that, uh, lyrical introduction. Uh, one of my immediate thoughts after we finished watching this movie was, uh... And we watched it together and I thought, hmm, how often does Pink Floyd pop up in uh, movie and TV soundtracks? Mm-hmm. And the answer is, in short, not as often as you might think, but there are some recognizable uh, titles in the mix, some of which we will touch on in the new and improved uh, Pink Floyd, colon, The Wall, colon, The Game. Um, so ba- here's how this will work. I will be running through some works that uh, that have had Pink Floyd music piped through the soundtrack uh, with my source being Roger Waters IMDB page. Uh, these might be instances in which the original Pink Floyd versions are used, or they might be adaptations from other artists, just a forewarning. Um, but I will read off just a general description of that work in a very uh, candid fashion. Cause that was fun for me. Uh, and as I'm reading, if you think you know what's being described, raise your little Zencaster hand. Once I see a hand raised, I'll stop reading, I'll call on you, and if you're correct, you'll get a point. If you're not correct, we'll keep going until someone can get it right. Each person will only get one guess per round, so use that guess wisely. And as always, uh, bringing this back, remember to use your noodles, not your Googles. Um, yeah, food for thought, um, because noodles. we'll uh, We'll get started no. here. Yeah, uh, we'll get started here with a movie that came out in 2014 and is uh, referred to as uh, by some as one of the most ambitious cinematic events of all time. Uh, or kind of, I don't know. I feel like staying engaged in your project for 12 years requires uh, a certain type of ambition. Uh, I saw, I see Aaron's hand. Aaron, uh, what am I talking about? Boyhood. Uh, I'm indeed talking about boyhood um, the the only other clue I had was this director also made the before trilogy films soon to be a quadrilogy uh, I'm sure maybe in the future I guess we'll see but yeah it's boyhood uh, somewhere in the middle of the movie there's a party that Patricia Arquette's character is throwing with I think some of her students and one of them uh, an actress played by Savannah Welch sits in the living room and plays Wish You Were Here on guitar I guess this takes place in a time before that sort of thing wasn't cool to do at a party but what do I know? Um, <laughs>
1: There's never been a time in which that wasn't a cool thing to do.
2: I was, yeah, I was, I was throwing them a bone, but, um, but yeah, so, so Aaron gets a point for boyhood. Uh, next up we have everyone's favorite character from the Marvel cinematic universe. Uh, this character's first MCU film came out in 2016 and, uh, uh oh, I see pink Harry, uh, as he is called in the, uh, the call right now, pink Harry, what's your guess? I believe that's
3: Dr. Strange.
2: It is Doctor Strange. Um, I'll read the rest of this uh, for for shits and gigs. Uh, Apparently, this character's comic has an interesting history with Pink Floyd, which I will not get into now uh, because it's weird and also kind of vague. But I I guess a shorthand way to, you know, characterize it is they both have psychedelic tendencies Uh, And that's kind of what brought them together. Uh, But yeah, Dr. Strange is indeed who we were looking for. The song Interstellar Overdrive plays in a uh, like a getting ready montage toward the beginning of the movie. It's mostly a sort of nothing scene. But my understanding is it is, again, a very conscious A conscious shout out to pink floyd
3: yeah i I figured that, that marvel would would be rich enough to afford a pink floyd song and then would as a as sort of a cheap gimmick to try to give credibility to one of their shit movies they would just sort of insert it into whatever one sort of vaguely made the most sense for it
0: Cody, I, I told you that I would uh, like uh, uh, Marvel films to no longer be uh, part of these these quiz questions because after the Snyder Cut, I am officially a DC man. Uh, so if you, if you could just, you oh. know, in the future, kind of, you know, yeah, just use Snyder. Is there a Pink
3: Floyd song in, uh, in the DC or the it's <laughs> like, Cut? It's like, it's so long, there's
0: probably every single I just song forgot, in the yeah. universe. Yeah. I, think,
3: I think A Dark Side of the Moon plays in its entirety over uh, <laughs> the back of that one, <laughs> right? Run, right?
1: The I scene where Batman idea. just puts it on reverse on his vinyl and just goes through the whole thing, like I don't know, I, I couldn't get behind that as a director. He of keeps decision. looking
2: over at Aquaman, like right, right, dude.
1: I'll <laughs> show
2: you, I'll show you the dark side of the moon. Get it? Because Dark Side's a villain. Nice. Wow yeah uh tiptoeing away from that uh for our third pink floyd on screen we've got a a title from a filmmaker we're all pretty familiar with i think it's safe to say Uh, this is a remake of a 2002 hong kong crime thriller uh of all the stellar performances in this film somehow only mark Wahlberg got nominated uh for an oscar uh what movie is this that i'm talking about right now i'm gonna keep going because i don't see anybody wanting to venture a guess anybody have a guess this is all i got um martin scorsese Come on, you've got this. 2006, it one best picture. Aaron. Uh The Departed. The Departed. Of oh, oh shit, it, yeah. Departed? Comfortably numb, like the whole song plays in that movie. So, so here's the thing. Comfort, uh, Comfortably numb is in the soundtrack credits. It's a live version of the song that was performed by Van Morrison, I yeah, guess. Yeah, that's right. Yes. Uh during the uh, the uh, I don't know why I said I guess. I rewatched the scene. Yeah, it's the intimate scene between Leon- Leonardo DiCaprio's character and Vera Farmiga's character. Um so yeah. That fucking party.
3: dudes rock the movie. Jesus Christ.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, Some uh, dudes and dudes, not rock, uh, in that. Well, movie. In fact, None say. of those
3: dudes rock. Yeah. It, it not, must be yeah. said. Yes.
2: Yes. Uh, meanwhile, tuning into dudes rock the game show. Uh, we've got Aaron in the lead with two points, Harry with one, uh, Jason bringing up the, uh, the lovely rear there. Uh, we've got two more to go. So there's still time. It's still anybody's game. I'm, uh, we're going to, I'm yeah. comfortably dumb. <laughs> Ooh, we're going to pivot a little bit for this one. We're going to be looking for a, a TV show this time. This is uh, an American sitcom about a working class family. Uh, music and musicians have a very general presence on the show. In fact, one of the the children in the family plays the saxophone. It's been on TV since before we were born, Aaron, and then Jason. The Simpsons the simpsons um year of the simpsons that's right we're talking about the simpsons uh, specifically season 11 episode 15 titled uh missionary impossible uh so here's the thing the credit says it's for comfort uh comfortably comfortably numb uh but i couldn't find a clip from the episode confirming that the song is playing however there is a chance the credit is just for a line from the song there's a scene where where marge calls homer on a ham radio and says the uh hold on the uh hello is there anybody in there um thank you very very good uh regardless uh the song shows up in the simpsons Simpsons. yeah uh whatever it's the simpsons so there are loads of other references to many other things i think uh pink floyd shows up in other uh references in various episodes across the 75 years that show has been running um so shout out to the simpsons That's our segue. Uh, For number five, this is our final challenge, Uh, similar to what we've done in previous games. I'm going to read off three quotes allegedly uttered by Roger Waters. Two of these utterances will be for real, again, allegedly, and one will be fake. Your task is to pick out the fake one. So I'll read off the three quotes and leave it to each of you to pick out the imposter afterward. So first quote here. To some extent, the wall is asking the question, do you want a voice? And if you do, you better bloody well go out and get it, because it's not going to be handed to you on a plate. So that was the first one. The second quote, I could have been an architect, but I don't think I'd have been very happy. Nearly all modern architecture is a silly game as far as I can see. And the third and final quote, I find the ubiquitous nature of Mick Jagger's presence in my life irritating. So that was the third
0: (laughs) Um,
2: are, we, are we remind me? Are we looking for the one that's real or the one that's not real? You're looking for the one that's not real. Um, so starting real. with you, Aaron. Uh, which which one of those three did oh. uh, did not sound like the real deal to you? Uh, the first, I guess. I don't know.
0: I'm gonna okay. go with the first one. Doesn't sound. But also, right. I win this game with the first. One.
2: Gotcha. A for Aaron. Um, next up, Harry. Which one is the imposter?
3: Oh man, I'm really debating between two and three. Actually, Um, but I I guess I'll go with two because I feel like maybe you switched out architecture with another discipline, like painting or something.
2: Gotcha. Uh, So B for Harry and Jason. What's your guess? I know. I'm only
1: saying this because I've heard the other's guesses. I know for a fact that number one is real because I just read it in an interview in prepping for this episode. But wow. I am stuck between two and three, and I'm going to go the opposite of Harry, because I think that you might have swapped Mick Jagger's name for another annoying yeah, rock yeah. star.
0: <laughs> Cody, can We're I uh, go switch see. my guess? Just Fuck you. Apropos, Fuck of you. No, apropos of nothing, I would like to change my <laughs> guess.
2: Um well I allow see you I'm, to do that? I, I, on my notepad here it says ABC in nice like yeah, pretty fashion. Okay, um so I'm just going to I'm going to leave it as it is. Uh the imposter is indeed C. Uh, here's, here's a, here's what the actual ver- here here's the actual version of the quote. I find the ubiquitous nature of Phil Collins's presence in my Ooh. life irritating. <laughs> well <laughs> I agree with that. Actually. I frankly yeah, I don't, feel don't the same we don't thing we all, the all then yeah. don't we all. Yeah, he's right. Um yeah, I uh, that's, that's the game. Thanks for playing. And ba-da, 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 ba-da. That's wall folks. Wow.
1: Incredible. One of the best, especially since I got to own Aaron so hard right at the end there. Thank you very much. So... Uh,
0: wait, Thank what was you. the score?
1: Oh yeah, sure. Thank um, so the, the apple to uh, we've,
2: the score, uh, I not, like, you know you
0: won that trivia game. If you
2: could. So, uh, you know, so, uh, so wow. Harry and Jason both came away, uh, tied for second place with one point apiece. Uh, Aaron had three. Oh.
0: Oh, not, oh, that's good. Hey, I, I am still off Twitter, but if someone could could like tweet tweet that when the episode goes out, you're not off I Twitter. You're no, not off Twitter. When, you I'm, just have I'm off, Turned off. I'm, I'm off Twitter, but if someone could <laughs> let everybody know that I won, that I am again the that I think still the reigning trivia champ when it comes to trial, that would be nice. I would appreciate. You it. tweeted two days ago. I don't think I did. I don't think I just don't think that's accurate.
1: You're even talking in our Discord chat about tweeting.
0: Huh? I don't think you're. Oh. No. We know.
3: My man talks about tweeting,
0: (laughs) which is way more tweeting than any of us are. Things are true. I don't. I don't have to acknowledge them. I'm being lied about. You're making a wall right
3: now. You're putting up a wall
0: around. Our
1: misinformation campaign is working. We'll ostracize him uh, any day now. Uh, thank you very much for listening to Try Love, and thank you very much, Aaron, for bringing this movie before us. I'm glad I've got another weird little peek into the animation background that you had as a kid. Uh, this and – was it Beyond the Mind's Eye that we've
0: – Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. We, we've not talked wow. about that on the We have not show. talked about Next that. Next time, I don't baby. know how we do an episode of that, but that would be wild,
1: yes. Uh, tune in next week for another episode of maybe this, maybe something else. Uh, my name is Jason Daphnis. You can find my podcast. Wow, I just said my podcast. I'm turning into a fascist myself. This MF find,
2: said my podcast.
1: <laughs> you can find our podcast, Try Love, at try love Podcast. On Twitter, you can find the Trilon at Trilon Cinema across all social media. You can find the Trilon at Trilon.org, where you can get tickets, merchandise, club membership, and a bunch of other cool ways to support them. When uh, attendance is down because of the COVID-19 pandemic, if you go places, including the Trilon, wear two masks, distance yourself, don't remove your mask, don't be an asshole. Uh, We have linked in the show notes and in the episode tweet a number of resources you can uh, click through to support various... um, uh, social initiatives here in the Twin Cities. There's a lot of really bad shit going on for uh, people who absolutely do not need that. Um, and we would appreciate if you would find ways to support your commu- Excuse me, our community and the most marginalized and vulnerable peoples within it. Uh, until then, my name is Jason Daphnis. You can find me on Twitter at
2: Nintendoofus. I've been Cody Narvison. You can find me on Twitter at Cody underscore BH.
3: Uh, I've been Harry. Um, we should abolish the Minneapolis police, please, uh, and also demand the resignation of um, our governor and our mayor. Uh, so, if you could do that, that would be really awesome. Thank you. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Chitake Harry
0: Yeah, I'm I'm Aaron. You can find me on Twitter at #rbplease. Same thing, except just replace Minneapolis with Chicago. <laughs> also, turns out bad stuff happening
2: in Yikes. my city now. Yes. So, anyway. <laughs> Well, I chose quite the the thing to end on here, so if you'll indulge me <clears throat> The Laddie reckons himself a poet. Money, get back. I'm alright, Jack. Keep your hands off my stack. New car, caviar, four star daydream. Think I'll buy me a football team. Absolute rubbish, laddie. Get on with your work.